Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So there are decisions you make, like today I decided not to eat a donut or a muffin. So, you know, I'm proud of myself on that. So now I can eat two after the service. Um, but we make decisions like that, healthy decisions, wake up decisions, job decisions, relationship decisions, all these different things. Every moment of our day, we have to make a choice. This or that or that or that or many different things. So today we're going to look at a little bit about that. But I want to share a little bit, a little story of one of some of the dumber decisions I make in my life. Um, does anyone make dumb decisions or am I the only one? All right, cool. There's like three of us who are dumb in here. The rest of you are super smart and don't mess up. But I was 19 once. Um, and that part of your brain, they say, is not completely developed with consequences yet. Um, and I firmly believe that now. Looking back at 19, I did not think, hey, this is going to happen after this. It was all this is going to be fun. Let's go do it. And who cares what happens? And so I want to share a story with you about how I got to have the coolest snowball fight in my life. So in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I'm from, there's not a whole lot of snow. The most snow we get is probably, let's do it in centimeters for you guys. Um, like six centimeters, I think would be like the most. We'd be like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. We have so much snow. And here you guys think that's comical. You're like, oh wow, so it just like dusted. Um, and in Knoxville, we're like, everything's crazy. Everything shuts down. We can't do anything. Um, and we're gonna have snowball fights. So, and if you also know anything about the South and football, American football, it's a pretty big deal. Um, and I happen to go to one of the biggest universities football-wise. Um, it has one of the largest football stadiums in North America, and it seats 102,000 people. So just to give you a picture of that, the Bell Center fits about like 50,000 people. My university college stadium fit double that, more like 102,000 people. So it's this giant stadium. It's really nice. Um, they play there every Saturday or every other Saturday, depending on the schedule. But it's this really beautiful field, really nice facilities. Um, and this story relates to how I got to have a snowball fight at midnight on that field. So it was really cool. One day it started snowing, and, and it snowed like two inches. So we're, we're like freaking out. What is that, like four and a half centimeters? So we're freaking out. We're like, we're going to get out of class. I'm in university. We're going to get out of class. I don't have to wake up and go to my biology lab or whatever it is. I'm really excited. Um, and so we decided to go outside and start throwing snowballs at each other because that's what you do in the snow, right? You throw snowballs. Anyone, you throw snowballs? Come on, it's fun to be a kid sometimes. So we're throwing snowballs at each other, having the time of our life. It's 10 o'clock at night, we're having fun. And all of a sudden, about 600 people start walking down the street. That's a lot of people to start walking down the street. It's not normal. So we're like, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? And one guy just shouts, we're going to Neyland. And we're like, all right, let's go to Neyland. So we join in on this crowd. We decide, yeah, let's do it. Let's find out what happens. So we're walking along these 600 people, and we're singing Rocky Top, which if you've never sang that, join me after. We're going to sing Rocky Top and have a good time. Um, it's a very country song, and we're having fun. It's throwing snowballs back and forth. And we get to the stadium, 
and one of the athletes unlocked it for us. I don't know who, I think he got in trouble, but they opened the door. And if you've ever seen like a thousand people try to cram into one door, it's crazy. It's like when the metro door opens and everyone like jumps in and they're like, oh, I'm gonna get on and you're not. So everyone's cramming in the door and getting in there. Um, and and we're, we're sitting there thinking, what could happen maybe if we go in here? And at that moment we both said, or all three of us said, who cares? Let's go in there. So we walk in and we get on the field and we take cool pictures. We're throwing snowballs with about like 1,200 other people, other students. Um, and then we're in the stands taking really cool pictures because it doesn't happen if you don't take pictures and put it on Instagram, right? It didn't happen. That's a fact. It did not happen if other people don't see it on Instagram. So we're taking all these selfies and everything and we see all the people on the field start running out. They start scattering. And usually that means one thing, um, cops. So we start running outside, we run down the steps and run, and um, we all kind of get out the doors, and there's probably like 20 cops out there. And they have their lights on, and one has a megaphone, and they go, freeze. And at that moment, we all look and start counting the cops. Like all 1,200 of us start counting the cops, and we're like, I don't think 20 cops can handle 1,200 of us. So we all start booking it. Like everyone starts running in different directions, and the cops, it's midnight, and none of them want to be there, so they're all kind of like, stop running, don't go anywhere, we're going to get you, and we're just like booking it, and there's this kind of steep hill, it's like uh, two meters, it's not very tall, but it's covered in like snow and ice, and my friend Pat and Drew and I start running up it, and before this, I had hit Pat in the face with a snowball, and um, Pat and I have this great relationship where we argue all the time. And so that created a great argument. And then he wanted to hit me in the face with a snowball. And I was like, no, you're dumb. And so we're running away, and he remembers this. So I'm running up this hill, and I slide. And I have, like, this Lion King moment. Anyone seen the Lion King? You know that moment where he's like, brother, help me. And he's like, long live the king. So I'm sitting there on the edge, and I'm like, Pat, help me. The cops are going to get me. And he's like, remember that snowball and he like takes off running and I like slowly slide down this hill and I'm like no and like I'm there sliding down and the cops don't care and I just go around the hill and I run back and we get back to our apartment and we're talking I'm like Pat how dare you and he's like I was getting away from the cops man whatever it was and he's like I didn't mean to leave you so that's the story of how my friends and I made some really dumb decisions to have a really cool snowball fight and Neyland and could have potentially like ended up in jail like that's breaking and entering that's pretty stupid but um you know you can go back and look at my Instagram there's a picture of it and um one of my good friends Bo so this is one of the decisions he made that haunted him for the rest of his life he's going to listen to this he told me and so he was not there that night he's like I'm going to go back to my room um we might have class tomorrow so I'm just going to leave and we went and had this snowball fight in Neyland and he missed out on it and for the rest of his college career, he developed the biggest FOMO I've ever seen. Does anyone know what FOMO is? It's called fear of missing out. So at every point in college, he was like, what are you guys going to go do today? He's like there every time. He's like, I can't miss out again. So um, if Bo ever comes and visits me, if you see him, be like, I can't believe you missed the snowball fight in Neyland, Bo. How could you miss out on that? But yeah, so I have tons of stories like that where I make the wrong choice. Um, sometimes it ends out well, sometimes it doesn't. Come talk to me after. I want to share some of those dumb moments with you. And maybe you can share some of your dumb moments with me because I have a lot of them. And maybe you'll make me feel like I'm not alone in all of this. But all that to be said, in our life, we have choices we have to make. 
Um, in that moment, I made dumb ones. Um, and I was young, you know, sometimes you're allowed to make dumb choices. But today we're going to look at some of the choices people make in the scripture we're going to be looking at. We're going to be in Mark chapters 14 and 15. Um, and we're going to look at the choices that the people made in the scripture. Particularly, we're going to look at the decisions people made when they were faced with a choice to follow Jesus. Um, or not to follow Jesus. And most importantly out of all this, we're going to look at one of the choices. Most importantly, we will see that Jesus is the perfect, perfect example of being all in and following God and making the right decisions and choices when it comes to following God. So like I said, we're in Mark 14 and 15. You can go ahead and get there if you want. If not, we have it on the screen here. If you need a Bible, we have a ton of them in the back. There's French and English. You can have that Bible. You can take it home with you. That's why we have them. So you can grab the scripture. You can read it on the screen. It'll be there. But a little bit about Mark and the Bible in general is, so scripture is painting this giant picture of God's redemptive story for his people. There's creation, there's fall, sin enters the world, and then the whole story is leading back to God uniting his people with him. And especially the Gospels. The Gospel means good news, and the good news is the salvation that Jesus brings. And today we actually get to look at the direct part that deals in that story, the part where Jesus gives his life for others. So the grand picture of Scripture is actually coming to be fulfilled in these two passages this week, and then next week we get to read about the resurrection, and Graham's going to be preaching. So it's going to be really, really cool. But that's an overview of where we are. That's the Scripture. That's what it's leading to. And these are the choices that are around all of this happening, around Jesus being arrested and um, people betraying him and people following him. So we're going to dive in. And the first choice we're going to actually see is Judas's choice to betray Jesus. So if you want, you can turn your scripture to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to turn mine there now. And we're going to look at what Judas actually decided when faced with a choice to choose to follow Jesus. So starting in verse 10, it says this, Then Judas, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Pretty crazy, right? That someone can walk closely with someone for three or more years, and at the end not truly be following them. Um, that G Judas could play the part close enough to those probably on the outside looked and saw Judas, and they were like, yeah, he's one of the twelve. He's pretty close to Jesus. Um, he's one of his followers. He's got it right. He knows what he's doing. Um, and I would say Judas was probably present at all, at all of those things. He's present at the preaching on the mountain, at the feeding of multiple people, at the healing, at all the things. He was present at all of these events and major marks. But in the end, he never truly chose to follow Jesus. In his life, it was all about doing it or being there, and it was never a decision he made to truly follow and give his life to Jesus. So in the end, we see that he actually betrays the one he was following for so long because it wasn't life for him. It was just something he had done. And in that, like, we see kind of reflection of sometimes we see people in the church or people in the world or even ourselves. Um, ultimately, we are faced with a choice to follow and give our lives to Jesus or not to. Um, and in that, like, Judas was faced with that and chose not to. And we can oftentimes be like Jesus. 
We can be at every barbecue. We can be at every coffee giving out at the Metro. We can be here every Sunday. We can see the songs. We can play the part. We can be at community group. We can be in discipleship. We can do all of these things, but never in our life has there been a moment where we say, yes, I choose to follow Jesus. So we can easily fit this part that Judas did as one of the 12 and look like everybody else, but it's more about giving your life to Jesus and less about playing and doing the part. So as we look at this choice, do we see ourselves making similar choices as Judas did to never truly give our lives? Judas chose in the end to betray Jesus. He was faced with the choice and he never gave his life. But we'll continue reading and see what happened in verse 42 through 45. This is crazy. It's so crazy. He said, Jesus is in the garden praying with his disciples. And they keep falling falling asleep, which is hilarious that Jesus is like, hey, come pray with me. And they keep falling asleep. And he's like, why are you guys falling asleep? And they're like, it's late, dude. Like, it's really late. He's like, come on, pray with me. And then he's like, never mind. My betrayer is here. So starting verse 42, it says, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed and gave him a kiss. First of all, it's not weird that he would give him a kiss. Um, I know you're looking at it and be like, that's really awkward. But in those times, they greeted each other with a kiss. Um, And I don't know if it was on the lips. I think it was on the forehead or like the cheek. Kind of like, you know, French culture does here, like the, and then Juan does the on both sides, and I don't know what to do. Um, So I'm really confused in this, but it's normal here. It's normal for him to greet him with a kiss, but he let that be the sign of betrayal. Like, this sign that would show intimacy with someone, something that we would say, oh, they're close. He called him rabbi, his teacher. They're intimate. He kissed him on the cheek. He said, no, like, this is how you know I'm betraying this man. This is the man to arrest. So all of these fake things that Judas lived and expressed never really meant that he had given his life to Jesus. And then as we keep reading, the second choice we come across is the choice of the Jewish leaders to kill Jesus, actually. And ultimately, that meant that they really refused to accept who Jesus was. That's truly the decision that was being made there. They did not want to accept who Jesus was. But we'll be in Mark 14, verses 53 through 65, so you can get there. And I'm just going to read it for us. It starts, it says, Then they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even then, their stories didn't, their stories weren't straight. Then the high priest stood up before others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer the charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. 
Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore their clothing to show their horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesied to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him and took him away. So there's a lot that's going on right there. And so what's essentially happening is they've arrested Jesus, and they've brought him before this council of Jewish leaders who would then make the decision, is he guilty or not? Are we going to kill him? Are we going to release him to be free? And then after that, they can take him to the Roman government and then bring their case before the government. And so Jesus is sitting there, and all this is being said about him, all these false things, all these lies, all these not true stories. Um, and they look at him, and they say, well, what do you have to say about this? Are you truly the Son of God? And Jesus looks straight in their face, and he says, yeah, I am. And guess what? Like, he has seated me at his right hand of authority and power, and I will come again on the clouds because I, will, I offer forgiveness and salvation through it. So they didn't like that at all, as you can tell. Tearing your clothes in that time was a sign to, like, show you were super distressed and, like, sad and really upset. Oftentimes when you read Psalms, David does that a lot. Like, when he's really sad, he rips his clothes. And I kind of see that as a little extra, like a little much, right? If I stood up here and I was like, guys, I'm really sad, and I just, like, started ripping off my shirt, like, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? Especially since you don't want to see, like, what's under my shirt. So, like, that would be uncomfortable. But apparently it's normal then for them to be upset and distressed and just show that sign by tearing their clothes and crying out and showing how much they didn't agree with it. But the reality of what's happening here wasn't the fact that they chose to kill Jesus. It was the fact that they couldn't choose to accept him for who he was. See, the Jewish leaders had an idea of who the Son of God, who the Messiah was supposed to be, and they thought he was going to come and release them from the power of the Romans and that they were going to have all this freedom and this power and that maybe since they were Jewish leaders and pretty high in the society, Jesus might give them some more power too. And maybe they could rule some lands and they'd be free and they'd be conquering and they'd be the best nation in the world. And they would, they would be great and strong. And so this is the view for the Messiah they had. But Jesus came and was like the opposite of that. Like he let people beat him. He let people you know, mock him, and he wasn't this conquering, like, conquering of armies king, but he conquered, like, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the enemy he conquered, and he ruled over, and they didn't like that too much. They wanted the power that they had. Um, as Jewish leaders in the community, they had a certain power over people, and it got to a point where they were holding that over the people in the society, that they liked the control and the power they had, um, and that they were holier, they viewed themselves as holier than the other people, and they didn't like that Jesus came and said, hey, guess what? You're not. Like, I've come to give all people this gift. And they're kind of like, we don't like that Jesus. So they couldn't accept the power that Jesus offered and that it meant they had to give up their authority and power in this. And I think I kind of find myself in that situation a lot. Um, I don't know about you, but I like to have control of my life. Does anyone else in the room feel that way? Like, I like control. Um, it's one of my problems. Like, even setting up these tables in here, like, I was like, no, it needs to be this way. And Autumn's like, does it matter? And ultimately, it probably really doesn't. Um, but I like my control, and that's where I struggle. Um, just like 
we see here they, they refused to give the authority to Jesus that he deserved. Um, they wanted it for themselves, which is where I find myself a lot. So know if that's you in this room. I'm standing right here today and I'm telling you, I struggle with this just as much as you do. I want to be the ruler of my life and the ruler of my destiny. I want to know where it's going and I want to know what's going to happen and I want to be responsible for it. But this is the beauty in what Jesus brings to us. He says, you are saved by grace, not works. You don't have to earn the salvation that you give. You just have to receive it. So it's not about me working hard enough to be good enough to earn this gift from God, but receiving it. So then that takes all the pressure off, right? Like, I don't have to be the one that works hard enough to say, like, look at me, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm doing all these things. I'm making God proud. It's like, no, like, you receive the gift he has given you. You release the authority to Jesus over your life. It's not about the power you can do, but about what he can do in and through your life and just releasing it to him. And there's freedom in that. You don't have to, to work at this. And if you're stepping in this room and you feel like, man, I'm just really exhausted because I've been working really hard to earn this thing and get better at this and work and earn this salvation that I've been given, you are released from that. You do not have to come into this place and put on a fake personality. You don't have to, have to ever come into our homes and feel like you have to be something you're not. Because what's great about a relationship with Jesus is means we've given him the power, we've given him the authority, and he takes control. So when I struggle and when I'm weak, like, he is stronger in that. And it's okay to struggle and be weak because we're all saved by grace. Like, no one is better than the other in this room, and we all struggle with that. So that was hard for these Jewish leaders to accept was the fact that they weren't responsible for what they were getting. They weren't responsible for the power that they would receive from Jesus. They wouldn't have the authority Jesus would, and he would tell them how to go, like where to go, and he would lead them, and they did not like that. They could not accept to choose to follow Jesus. They could not give him the power. And then the third choice we're going to come across is another one that I often relate to, which I feel like as Christians, we often like to relate to Peter because sometimes he does some pretty dumb things and he doesn't think before he speaks, and I oftentimes do that. I like to talk, and sometimes I say things that are offensive, and I don't mean it. So if I've offended anyone in the room by a conversation, I am so sorry. Um, <laughs> I try not to. My wife helps me through that. Um, but the third choice we're going to come across is Peter um, chooses to deny Jesus. So we're going to look at two verses, or three verses, before he actually denies. Um, and in chapter 14, verses 29 and 31, I'll read it real quick. Peter said to Jesus, he said, even if anyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die for you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So what's crazy about this choice that we're about to read about is Jesus literally looks in Peter's eyes and he says, you will deny me three times tonight that you even know me. And Peter looks at me and said, no, I will give my life. I, will, I would die to claim that I know you, profess that I know you. And Jesus, you know, being Jesus is like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, you know, he's not sassy. He's, he's not coming from an angry place. But I picture he's like, come on, man, I know better than you. Like, I know this is going to happen. And oftentimes I see that in my life. Like, do you ever know that you're going to make a dumb decision and you're like, no, I'm not going to make it? 
but then you go for it and do it. Like, that's how dumb we are sometimes, right? Like, Jesus looks and he says, hey, this is going to happen. And you're like, no, it's not going to happen. And you're like, yep, it did happen. I'm sorry. What can I do now? So as we continue to read, we'll look in verses um, 66 through 72. And it says, Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. So she looked at him closely and said, You're one of those with Jesus and Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. That's the first crow. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, Look, this man definitely is one of them. But Peter denied it again. Later, some of, And a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and wept. Ooh, I don't know about you, but I feel that way sometimes, right? Am I alone in that? Do you guys kind of feel that way? Do you resonate with that, what we just read, that choice? Peter makes this claim before God. He says, no, I will follow you unto death. I will be your disciple. I will be your guy. I'll be right there. I'll die with you. But then when the choice came and he was faced with the pressures of saying, maybe I might have to give up my life. I might have to be uncomfortable. Peter goes, I don't know that Jesus guy. No, 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 I promise that's not me. I promise I'm not one of them. I'm not like him. He took his identity away from Jesus because of the sake of his life and for the comfort that he wanted. And why that hits so hard with me is because sometimes I find myself there. Instead of wanting to be uncomfortable in my life, I choose not to follow Jesus in certain ways because it will be easier. Maybe tonight I don't want to give up my night for someone else. Maybe tonight I just want to go home and watch Netflix. I want to watch 10 episodes of Stranger Things, which I did one time and regretted immediately. Um, but we choose things like that. We choose our comfort over letting other people know that we follow Jesus. When we're faced with the decision to really give our lives for other people and give our time for other people and our resources, our home, our food, our money, whatever it is, when we're faced with that decision, oftentimes we can be like Peter and be like, no, I don't know. I'm not one of them. I'm just like you guys. I don't have to give up my comfort. I don't, this doesn't have to be hard for me. I don't know him. And oftentimes I find myself in that place saying, I would rather do my own thing. And that's the heart of it here is Peter would valued his life greater than professing that he knew Jesus. He valued that he could maybe live a little longer instead of saying, yeah, I know Jesus, because he was seeing what was happening to him. He knew what was going to come. And he's like, no, I don't want that for my life. That's too hard. But that's what Jesus calls us into, and that's what's so easy for us to live in that place like Peter and say, no, I don't want to give up my comfort. I'm too busy right now. Um, my life is just really stressful. I don't want to add any stress to it. Um, this, is, this is just too difficult. But professing and claiming Jesus and following him means giving up every aspect of that in your life. It means not worrying about how comfortable you are or your own life, 
but it's worrying about the sake of others' lives so that they can come to know Jesus in your life. So where are we holding on to something so tightly where we're like, no, I don't want to release that because it means I'm going to be uncomfortable. Where are we holding back in the world seeing us as just normal and not as Jesus followers? Do people in your lives look at you and know you as a Jesus follower, or do they look at you and see that you're the same like everyone else because of the decisions you make that are just like theirs? Or are we truly giving up our lives and ourselves so that other people can see and experience Jesus? But here's what's really cool in this. I don't know about you, but I mess up a lot in that. I'm not perfect, and I'm really selfish. I like my own time, and I'm really into Stranger Things right now, and I really just want to watch it all the time, um, or The Office, or any of those easy shows. And it's easy for me to fall back in that place and say, no, I'm going to go home tonight. I just need a night to myself. And really those nights that I say that are worse than if I was like giving my time away for people because I go home and watch about nine hours of Netflix and regret every single decision I made because it's not life-giving. It feels empty and we feel like kind of wasted our time. And so, but what's cool in this story, so if we, if we see at the end of it, it said he broke down and wept. Is anyone in the room like an ugly crier? Would anyone say they're an ugly crier? I try not to cry because, you know, mainly things I guess you're not supposed to cry. But the movie Marley and Me gets me every time. Has anyone seen that movie? If you've ever had a dog and you watch that movie, you will, you will bawl. You will cry so ugly. Like, my family went and saw that movie, and literally our dog was going through that, like dying. And I was like, why would they make a movie like this? And we're like all crying and like the whole theater you can hear like <laughs> like that ugly, like the you can't catch your breath like <laughs> and we're all like bawling and sad and so like the picture of weeping and what we see as weeping is more intense than that. And what you can consider an ugly cry, it's more intense than that because it deals with sorrow and grief. Not just the emotion of feeling bad or sad but it deals with sorrow and grief that Peter felt for the denial of the choice he just made to not follow Jesus. So he broke down and was torn apart. He said, how could I make this decision? Jesus said I was going to do it, and I did it, and I denied him, and I said I would die for him. I am broken. I am so torn apart. I am so upset. And this is the beauty of the salvation of Jesus Christ. Because through that, through the gift of Jesus, Peter finds forgiveness in this. It's not really written about, but I assume um, Peter repents. I assume he went home after this and prayed to the Lord, like, I'm so sorry. I've denied you. And then later in John, we get to read that Peter actually gets to have a conversation with Jesus, kind of dealing with this, where Jesus asks him, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course I do. And he's like, feed my sheep. And he asks him three times. And a lot of people um, think that that's Jesus, like, pointing out, like, hey, you denied me. Do you truly love me? Are you following me? Um, and Jesus offering a time of repentance and forgiveness in that. And there could have been a conversation. You know, I'm not going to speculate scripture, but I'm sure Peter, as soon as he saw him on the beach, was like, I'll never deny you again. You know you remember that. He's got to remember that. He's got to say, I'm, I failed. You told me I was going to do it. Lord, I'm so sorry. And here's what's really cool in it is later we get to see that Jesus uses Peter to build his church. Peter goes to Rome is responsible for a lot of the modern church we see today. We get to read letters in here from Peter to other churches to encourage them. 
at the end of his life when he's faced with the decision again to follow Jesus, either choose his life, giving it up, or following Jesus, he chose to follow Jesus and gave up his life. In the end, he was crucified for believing in Jesus. That's forgiveness, y'all. Like, that's forgiveness that Jesus offers when we fail. Because it's easy to fail. It's easy to choose myself over giving it up so other people can see Jesus, but he offers forgiveness when we come with a repentant heart. Jesus offers forgiveness for those who seek it, and he will use you. Peter was a mess, you guys. Like, all the disciples were normal people like us. We often elevate them to something special, but they were normal, everyday people. And they messed up, and Jesus still used them to start the church, to share the gospel, to bring thousands to his name. He used these people, these normal, messed up people just like us. So if you're sitting there today and you think, maybe I'm too far gone. Dylan, you just don't know the choices I've made. I've not surrendered. I've not decided to give up my time for other people, and I keep choosing to be selfish. I keep choosing, I don't want to help people. I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be at this. I don't want to give up my time for the sake of Jesus. You are never too far gone. Peter literally denies that he knows and follows Jesus. Three times he denies and says, I do not know that man. A curse on me if I'm lying. And Jesus offered forgiveness and used him to reach thousands of people for the gospel. You are never too far gone to be used by Jesus Christ in this room. You are never too far gone. Oftentimes we find ourselves in a place like Peter. Peter chose his comfort in life over following Jesus, but was given grace and forgiveness to continue to follow him. So that brings us to our fourth choice as we continue through the scripture. Um, the fourth choice we see is Pilate refuses to actually make a choice. He doesn't want to decide. And this is where I really see a lot of people... Um, in Montreal, or even particularly the world. So we're going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. And I want to see if you guys feel the same way, if you see a lot of people today who are kind of in a similar place. So we're going to be in chapter 15 and verses 1 through 15. Um, we'll, we'll read it, and then I'll explain it. So just bear with me. It starts very early in the morning. The leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. And then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, are you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing much, nothing much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone that the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. They had a plan. They knew what they were going to ask for. In verse 9 it says, Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. Pilate saw what was going on here. Verse 11, it continues, but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? And then they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. 
So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Pilate saw what was going on here. He saw that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders were actually jealous of what Peter could, or not Peter, were jealous of what Jesus could do. And they were jealous, and they, he saw that they didn't like what he was saying. Not that Jesus had done anything wrong, but that they just didn't like what he was saying. But the dangerous game Pilate plays here is the fence. He's standing on the fence of saying, is Jesus right? Is he really what he claims to be? Maybe they're right, and he's fake, and he's like totally in the wrong here, and we should kill him. But Pilate kind of stands on the fence here, and instead of making the choice, he listens to the crowd. And he says, well, what would you guys have me do? I know what I should do. I should release him because he's innocent, but what would you guys do? Because I don't want to upset you. He saw that the crowd was big and that they were getting upset, and he didn't want any problems. So he said, what would you do? And they said, release the murderer to us. We want this awful guy back into our community because we want you to kill Jesus. And Pilate, not wanting to make a decision and not wanting to upset anyone, said, okay, cool, here you go. Here's Jesus. I'll release this murderer to you because that's what you want. I'll give you what you want because it seems easier for me to make that choice instead of making the choice myself. And that is kind of how I see our world right now. That is how I see our culture. We're standing, a lot of people are standing on this fence saying, well, it, it, it doesn't sound crazy. Like, but then there's this, out, this side that's screaming saying, it's wrong, it's awful, how could you believe that? It doesn't make sense, there's all this science, there's all this. And then they're standing there and they're saying, okay, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to be offensive to anyone in this culture. So I can't choose this side because then they're really going to be offended over here. And I want to be correct in the eyes of everyone. I, I want to fit into this society. I don't want to be intolerant. I want, I'm just going to come over here. You guys told me that's what's popular, that's what's cool right now. I'm going to be on this side. I'm going to choose to not really choose but follow you guys. Which choosing not to choose, guys, is a choice. It's the choice of not following. It's not wanting to make the decision so you have decided for yourself no. So that's where our world is. They sit on this side and they say, no, I don't want to upset anyone. I'm going to be on this side because that seems offensive and I don't want to do that. But guess what? The teachings of Jesus are offensive. If you get one thing from reading this today, those people were super upset by Jesus' words. They didn't like what he had to say so much that they hung him on a cross for it. He was so offensive to the world that he was killed for it. And oftentimes we're so afraid to let other people know that we have decided to follow Jesus or people are often afraid to follow Jesus because they're afraid of what the world might think and what they might call him and that, that people might be offended by it. But guess what? The gospel is offensive to those who don't believe. Now that doesn't mean we're jerks. Like it can be easy to be on that side and be like, oh yeah, we're right, you guys are wrong. How dare you live like this? That is not, not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to stand firm in the teachings that he offers, but to offer grace, forgiveness, love, and mercy to those in the world. Because we can't expect them to live like Jesus calls us to when they don't follow him. But we don't budge in what we believe. 
And that's going to be offensive to the world. We're not intolerant or rude with people, but we don't change what we read in his scripture. We don't change it to fit the culture. We don't do like Pilate did and said, mm, this might be offensive, so I'm not going to preach it. Never will we ever do that. Because we have chosen to follow Jesus and stand firm in what he preaches and what he teaches. And we will follow that. But oftentimes, it's easier to not make a choice. Pilate was so scared to choose. He was terrified of what might happen if he chose wrong that he let other people decide for him. And he ultimately chose not to follow Jesus. That's the choice that Pilate made. The fifth and the last choice we see is actually the best one. You know, you save the best for last. Like, I'm saving that chocolate donut back there for after this because it's the best donut. Anyone like donuts? Make sure you guys are still listening and stuff like that. You're not responding, so I feel like you're not listening. Um, but saving the best for last, um, we see Jesus' choice. And Jesus chose your will, not mine. Jesus chose to follow even while knowing what that decision would lead to. So we're going to read in Mark chapter 14. We're going to go back um, a couple verses and read 32 through 36 to just set up the stage for Jesus' choice. So verse 32, it starts, And then they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it was possible by the awful hour awaiting him, that it might pass by him. Abba, Father, he cried out, anything, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. So Jesus is sitting in this place knowing what's going to happen, knowing that he's physically and literally going to carry the weight, the burden of the entire world's sins. And that's got to press heavy. That's got to be hard. And he's suffering and he's exhausted and weary and carrying this burden. He comes to the Lord and he says, if it be possible, could you, could you just please take this from me? It's really hard to carry. But God, if this is where you want me, I'm okay with it because your will, not mine. I want you, God, to do what you want and not what I want in my life. And what's really cool is how Jesus maintains this vision. So we see him maintaining going to the cross because he continues his relationship with the Father at all times. He maintains obedience and a steady relationship with God because he's continually going away and finding times to pray, continually going away and finding times to spend with his Father because he knows he needs that connection to follow. So just like him, we need that connection. We need to be spending time with him, crying out, Lord, could you lead me through this? Lord, your will be done. And because Jesus prayed this prayer, because he asked your will, not mine, um, this is what happens. So we'll turn to chapter 15. We'll read verses 16 through 26. So Jesus was flogged with a lead-tip whip, and, turn, and they turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the court, courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in purple robes 
and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, split, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock of worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his old clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Crean, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Golgotha. <laughs> they offered him wine drugged with myrrh, and he refused it. And then the soldiers nailed him to the cross, divided his clothes, threw dice, and decided who would get each piece. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charges against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. We'll skip to verse 33 and read. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Elo, Elo, Limo, Sabachthani. I don't speak whatever language that is, so sorry if that's not pronounced well. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling out to the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up on a stick so he could drink. Wait, they said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And then Jesus uttered with a loud cry and breathed his last breath. I want us to sit in that heaviness for a minute. Because Jesus sat in the garden in his life he sat in the Lord and said, your will be done, not mine. This is what happened. He was whipped and beaten. He was mocked and rejected. He had thorns pressed into his skull. He was spit on in order to carry his own cross. He was nailed to that cross and crucified and hung there for hours. He took on the weight of our sins and the world's sins. And in that time, he was abandoned by God because of the weight he was carrying for us. Because he chose, God, your will, not mine, this was the result. The pain, the suffering, the beating, the crucifixion was a result of him saying, God, your will be done in my life, not mine. Do we often avoid suffering and pain and hard times because we know the result? We know that it's going to be difficult? Or do we look at times in our lives and say, God, your will be done, not mine? And it's normal not to want to suffer. I understand that. Like, if you sat in here and said, oh, yeah, I love to suffer. Like, we're going to have a conversation. You're weird. Like, no one enjoys suffering. Um, that's really weird. It's okay to not want that. Like, even Jesus prayed, like, Lord, if you could take this suffering away, please. But if this is where you have me, so it be done. God, your will, not mine in this moment, in all moments of my life, even when suffering happens. But for me, it's easy for me to look at my life and say, I don't really like my job right now. It's kind of hard. The people kind of stink. I don't like waking up early. It's just not my dream job. Um, this is really difficult in my life. These people are really difficult. Man, doing this is really hard. I have to give up my time. I just don't really want to suffer. God, could you, like, take that suffering from me? And then at all costs, we take the path to avoid that suffering. We go around it instead of saying, God, 
I don't want to suffer, but if it's where you have me so that you will be glorified, your will, not mine. And then we walk through that suffering. But easily in my life, I look at it and say, God, I really don't want to suffer. Could you take it away? But if you don't, I'm going to go this way. And I'm not going to have to suffer. Because I don't want to. It's really hard. But the life that Jesus calls us to is one of saying, God, your will, not mine. If you've placed me in this place, you don't cause the suffering. But if you've placed me in this place, your will be done. And if you're not going to take me out, God, would you be glorified? Would people around me see you? Would those suffering alongside me see the eternal hope I have in you? How could you bring your glory through this time? How could you, Jesus, shine through this really hard time in my life? So with suffering in our lives, are we trying to pray ourselves out of it and walk around it instead of praying, Lord, if you could get me out of it, I'd be so thankful. But if not, would you, would you have your way? Would your will be done? Would you use me through that? And would you strengthen me through it? Because it's going to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. That's what we have each other. So we hold each other accountable to. So we walk through this together. We can walk through those hard times together. And say, man, I know you're suffering. But let's see how God can use you through that. Let's see what God can do through just a simple faith of saying, your will, not mine. If Jesus hadn't chosen, God, your will, not mine, where would we be right now? If he chose, God, take me out of this suffering. It's just too much for me to handle. I'm overwhelmed. I can't even right now, which is like what all girls say right now. I can't even. If he said that, we would have no salvation offered to us. But thankfully, he chose that God would have his way and not what we selfishly want. And this this is the gospel right here. In verse 38, we'll continue. This is the good news. If you haven't heard anything else, listen to the good news, this salvation. In verse 38, it says, And when the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple, or it says, Then Jesus uttered another cry and breathed his last breath. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At that time, there was this curtain in the temple that separated the normal people like you and me and those who could be in the holy place with God, those who could offer those sacrifices to him. And the gospel, the salvation, the good news is that Jesus breathed his last breath and that curtain was literally torn from top to bottom. That now you and I can accept this gift and walk into the holy place with Jesus. That now you and I can stand here and make the wrong choices, but then say, God, I want to follow you, and him say, come in, I've been waiting. For him to offer this grace and salvation because he came and hung on a cross and bared your sins, that is what he offers to you today and every day, guys. He said, your will, not mine, Father, and he suffered for it, but through it, we have the gift of Jesus Christ. We don't have to work hard to earn it. We don't have to have someone on our behalf in a holy place offering sacrifices. Jesus came to be that sacrifice so you could have intimacy with God. That you can have a real relationship in real life with him. You can have freedom to follow Jesus and choose to follow him. Because Jesus chose your will, not mine, Lord. I read this really great quote by someone famous, um, some sort of name. I'm not sure the name of it, but I read it, and it really stuck with me. This is what following Jesus looks like. Following Jesus means giving your life away so others can find his kingdom. 
I'm going to read that again because sometimes I need things read to me twice and some of you maybe are zoning out. So following Jesus means giving your life away so others can find his kingdom. Do we hold on to the things that are comfortable to us? Do we hold on to our lives and say, God, not your will but mine? And so other people don't get to see Jesus. The reality is this is what Jesus has called us to. Like he says, you are to carry your cross every day and follow me. So like are we willing to step into this relationship and say, God, your will, not mine. Might I lay my life down so that those around me can see you? Might I give up my life for the sake of your kingdom? Because when I lay mine down and serve other people, I pray, Lord, that it points to you. I pray that from my words, from my actions, from every encounter with people, that I'm laying myself down so that Jesus can be glorified. So that it's not myself going out and not myself saying all these things, but that I would lay down and Jesus would be the power through that. And that I would give up times in my life that I think are mine so that people can see his kingdom. So that other people can be brought into this truth. I kind of want us to think about all of these choices today as we kind of close. Um, you guys can come up and, and, and kind of start playing. Um, we read about a lot of choices today. Um, and we can relate to a lot of them. But I kind of want us to respond in this way of thinking, what choice am I making today? What am I choosing today? Am I choosing to maybe never truly following Jesus like Judas? Have I always been present and apart but never really chosen to give my life to him? Am I denying who Jesus is because I want my comfort to reign over Jesus in my life? Am I denying that he, I know him because I want my life to be easy? Are we not giving up our power? Are you holding on to the authority in your life and what you have for it instead of releasing it to Jesus like we see the Pharisees do? Are you refusing to make a decision? Is that you in the room sitting here saying, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to upset any people, but this looks like I, I have to be bought into it. I have to accept it and truly follow it. But this seems easier. If you're sitting in the room, are you choosing that? And there might be some of you in the room that praise the Lord, you're, you're making the choice like Jesus did, Lord, your will, not mine. And if that's you in the room, I pray for you to be asking the Lord how you can lay your life down so that other people can see Jesus. But through all these decisions, I kind of want us to think about it as, as, as the band plays and as they um, sing a little. Um, what choice are you making? What are you deciding? Um, and pray about that. And if you need someone to pray with, you want to maybe talk through some things or maybe make a decision. Maybe like, yeah, I've never followed Jesus, but I don't want to stand on the fence anymore. I want to accept this free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to each one of you in this room. If that's you, I'm going to be standing at this back table. Graham's going to be standing back there with me. And Melissa, if you could stand back there with us so we can have, uh, have everyone can feel comfortable to come talk to. If you want to talk to a guy, if you want to talk to a girl, like we are there for you to make a decision or just talk. But I want us to spend this next like three, five minutes just praying like, Lord, what decisions am I making? So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but then out of that prayer, 
I want you to really sit and think, what choices am I making? Do I identify with any of these in here? Or am I saying, God, your will, not mine? I fully surrender. So let me pray.